We're going to backtrack a little bit. I covered first base Sunday morning, coming to Jesus on his terms, seeing your fallen character, realizing you were born with a bad heart. You have a bad record before a holy God, but we must forsake our idols and follow him in saving faith. And that can only happen, as our pastor read, when a man, a woman, even sometimes a young person, is born of God. There are only two types of people in Jonesboro tonight. Those who've been born of God and those who have not. Those who've been converted, they've entered through the narrow gate of authentic conversion, and those who have not. Those who have uh, been the object of a supernatural heart transplant, and those who have not. Those who've had an exchange of masters, their, their master was sin, they were existing under the tyranny, the dominion of sin, but they have been ushered out of the tyranny of sin and into the kingdom of God's dear son. So the question is, how do I know I've been born of God? How do I have the assurance I've entered into a saving knowledge of Jesus and not just a superficial knowledge of Jesus? How do I know I've been born of God? How do I know I've had this spiritual heart transplant? Well, that's what John is speaking about here. He's writing to those who profess to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, we'll read at verse 10 tonight. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. There are three sources by which I get biblical assurance that I've been born of God, that I have entered through the narrow gate of authentic conversion. First of all, the living reality of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ came to me, not just in information there in New Orleans, Louisiana, in the middle of the night. It came to me in illumination, so that I entered into a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. In those early hours of October 1980 now, the glorious gospel came to my blinded mind in illuminating Power. We heard last night, it is the God who spoke light into darkness who has shown in my heart to give the light 
of the saving knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit revealed to me the truth about who Jesus is, who I was in my guilty, condemned, bankrupt condition, my desperate need for salvation of my soul. God so worked in me through the gospel and by the Spirit that He graced me repentance toward God, saving faith toward the Lord Jesus. I repented. I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I entered into a saving knowledge of Jesus so that as this former agnostic rock and jazz drummer stands before you tonight. I am clinging to, I am relying on, I am trusting in Jesus Christ alone as my Redeemer, as my righteousness, as my refuge from the wrath to come. That's how I have assurance. But there's a second place I get biblical assurance. It is this, the Spirit of God bears witness with my spirit that I'm a born-again child of God. He who savingly believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. When the Spirit of God brought the gospel to me in power, he literally resurrected my spirit that was dead separated, alienated from God. And the third person of the Trinity came to indwell me. And every born-again believer. And what's the evidence? Well, he leads me through this life. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. He's leading me through this life. He is causing me now to pray to God as my Abba Father. He's no longer some strange, distant God. He is my Father. And now He energizes me to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And He corrects me when I fail to. That's where I get assurance. But there's a third source of assurance, and that's what we want to focus on tonight. Because when the Spirit of God comes and indwells a person, that person begins to produce the ongoing fruits that they've been born of God. They begin to manifest the evidences that they have been converted. They begin to bear the birthmarks that they have been born again. They begin to manifest the road signs that they're on the right road, heading to the right destination. If Thursday morning, Lord willing, I get in my car and get on I-20 West to head to Jackson, Mississippi... I'm going to begin to see some road signs tell me I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm headed for the wrong destination. But if I get on I-20 East heading to Jackson so I can break on down to Mobile, when I get there, you know what? I begin to see some road signs tell me I'm headed to the right destination. 
And there are road signs that can tell a person, listen, they haven't entered the wide gate of counterfeit conversion. They're not walking on the broad road of religious deception in danger of hearing Jesus say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. No, if a person's entered the narrow gate of authentic conversion... And they're walking on the narrow road. There will be road signs in their life that testify they're on the right road. They're headed to the right destination. What are those road signs? Well, let's back up to chapter 1. And let's look at five of them tonight. And I want to ask you again, think about yourself first. Don't sit there and think, I wish Uncle Fred was here tonight to hear this. No, think about yourself first. The first road sign we want to look at, I'll call it the road sign of a pursuit of sanctification. Notice verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, with the Lord, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, the original language says, continually cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But listen to verse 9 in the original language. If we're the one of the ones who are continually confessing our sins, he is faithful and just to continually forgive us, forgive our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do you mean by the road sign of a pursuit? of sanctification. Oh, that night I was born from above. I was justified by amazing grace and marvelous mercy. I've said earlier this week, all of my mountains of sins, the wrath that I deserve for those mountains of sins were placed on Jesus' account. Jesus' perfect righteousness that he wrought out on this earth as the God-man was placed on my account. But how do you know you were justified? You trust in an experience? No. Some fast-talking preacher can give you an experience. The devil can give you a phony religious experience. How do I know I was justified? Well, because simultaneously I was given a new heart. God took away my old heart. He gave me a new heart. And that new heart has a passion to pursue sanctification. To pursue Holiness. Listen to Hebrews 12 and verse 14. It says this, pursue the peace with all men, but here's the primary uh, command, pursue the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue the holiness, the word is sanctification, because if you're not pursuing the holiness, the sanctification, you're not going to see the Lord in glorification. No one will know the reality of holiness perfected in heaven 
who never comes to know the reality of holiness pursued on this earth. The word there, pursue, is to follow after with desire and determination, to seek after, to strive after with purpose. It's the Greek word taken from an Olympian athlete who is training for the gold medal. He's training with all fervency and diligence to pursue that goal. There's no thought of laziness there. No idea of apathy or negligence there. No, he's tracking down that gold medal. That's the word. A track down, strive after, pursue the holiness, the sanctification. Oh, what does that mean? Remember what I said last night? That is a life that is purposing to set itself apart from what its flesh's agendas would be. And to set that life apart unto God's agenda. How do I know I've been justified? Because simultaneously I was given a spiritual heart transplant. And that new heart has a passion to pursue a life that is set apart from my flesh's plans and purposes. And set apart unto God's plans and purposes. Do you think you're perfect or something? Absolutely not. We can call up Diane and she can testify to that. Oh, but I'm walking in the light. I've been transformed and transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And that new heart has a love and a desire to walk in the light of a Christ-centered, Christ-directed, Christ-pleasing life. It no longer hates the light. It's been transformed into the light. But what about when you stumble and fall as you're walking on that road? Oh, when I sin, I sin in the light. Because I'm walking in the light. And the Holy Spirit shines His holy searchlight on that sin. If it's a sin of omission, there's a quenching. If it's a sin of commission, there's a grieving. Well, what do you do, Brother Ed? Well, I'm one of the ones confessing my sin. So He's faithful and just to continually forgive me of my sins, continually cleanse me from all unrighteousness. The question tonight is, are you pursuing holiness? Do you have a new heart that has a desire and determination to pursue this sanctification. This is the evidence a person's been born again. This is the evidence they've been set free from the tyranny of sin. Listen to it in Romans 6 and verse 22. Having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, you are having your fruit unto, same Greek word, holiness, sanctification. And the end, eternal life. Who has eternal life? God says those who have been liberated from the kingdom of sin, they have become slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ and they are having their fruit. They are manifesting the road sign of a pursuit of sanctification. 
Whoever is born of God does not practice sin anymore as the bent of their life. Whoever practices sin, I'm quoting John, has neither seen Jesus nor does he know Jesus. Is your life bearing the fruit of a pursuit of sanctification? John says, these things I've written unto you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. Oh, but there's another exam. I pray you're taking the test. Notice chapter 2 in verses 3 and 4. We'll call it the road sign of a passion for submission. Notice that word. Now by this we know that we know him. We're about to find out how we know we know him. And John says by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says he's got to talk, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a what? And all liars will have their part in the lake of fire which burns forever. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So... How can we know we've been born of God? How can we know we've entered through the narrow gate of genuine conversion? Well, I'll tell you how we can know. We'll see the road sign of a passion for submission to the will of God as we're finding it in the Word of God. You know, I never opened this book in my life before I got converted at 29 years of age. If you would have said the word Genesis, I would have thought you were talking about the rock group Genesis. And I'm not kidding. That's how ignorant I was in unbelief. Oh, but when God gave me a heart transplant, I suddenly got an insatiable appetite for a book I'd never opened before. A desire to read it, to study it, to purpose, even though I stumble and struggle, to purpose to submit my life to the will of God as I'm discovering it in the Word of God. The ongoing transformed disposition of character, direction of life, and desire of heart of the person on the narrow road is to submit their life of this word. You know it's not enough to attend. It's not enough to give your attention to Brother Brian's sermon. It's not even enough to appreciate Brother Brian's sermon. Well, good preacher, you stepped on my toes today. That's not enough. No, you must be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Because if you're a hearer only, you are deceiving yourself. As a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, who is going to enter the kingdom of heaven? The Lord Jesus said, he who is doing the will of my father who is in heaven. The good shepherd says, my sheep 
Hear my voice. I know them. He's not going to say to them, I never know you, knew you. He says, I know them. What's the evidence? I know them. They continue to follow me. Perfectly? No. Only Jesus was perfect. Purposefully? Yes. If you continue in my word, you're my authentic disciple indeed. This is the question. Do you have a transformed disposition of character? Do you have this spiritual heart transplant that has a passion to submit your life to the word of God and the will of God? Brother Ed, you're trying to do it again. You're preaching a work salvation. No, friend. I'm preaching a salvation that works. Because when a man, a woman, a young person is born from above, God says about that person, I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, listen, and I will cause you to walk after my judgments and you will do my commandments and keep them. Now, that's God speaking. No one does it in the perfection of their life. Don't misunderstand me. But do you see a transformed direction? 1 Corinthians 16, 22 says, He who does not love the Lord Jesus, let him be accursed. So how do I know if I love Jesus? Just because I say I love Jesus? Just because I sing, oh, how I love Jesus? No. Jesus said, he that has my command and guards them diligently, he's the one who loves me. And John says, these things I've written unto you, who believe that you may know that you've entered into a saving knowledge of Jesus, which is the very essence of eternal life. But there's another road sign. It's in the same chapter. Notice chapter 2 and verse 15 through 17. I pray you're taking the exam tonight. Notice it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him that's not a born-again believer. It cannot be. Because when a person is born again, the love of God is shed abroad in their heart by the Holy Spirit. No, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. Here it is again. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, 
when John speaks of the world, he's not talking about the plants. He's not talking about the animals. He's not talking about the beautiful day we enjoyed uh, together here in Jonesboro. He's not even speaking of the people of the world. He's describing this world system headed up by the prince of the power of the air, the father of lies, with all of its fallen ideas and philosophies and lies and deceptions, all the false religions of the world, which are all based on works, there's only one based on saving faith. He's talking about all the false religions, all the human wisdom that we are polluted with through the media, all the human ideologies, immoralities, idolatries, all that this world system has to offer you that are nothing but cheap, phony substitutes for a saving knowledge of Jesus. All the wells of this world that are nothing but empty wells that cannot quench a thirsty soul. That's what he's saying when he talks about the world. So how do I know I've been born of God? How do you know you've been born from above? I'll tell you how you know, as an ongoing progression and practice of lifestyle, you're seeing your affections set more and more on the things of God and the things of Jesus and less and less on the trinkets and the amusement and the junk and the distraction of this world. You see your affections, you find your identity, your significance in the things of Jesus. Because the things of this world have grown strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. A whole lot of folks say, I love Jesus, but their life shouts out their phonies. They actually still love the world. And there's no more certain evidence that a person's heart is unregenerate, their life is unconverted, than to find the things of the world uppermost in their affections. As a matter of fact, James says something about that person. He says, he who is a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And that word friend describes a seven-day-a-week practice of lifestyle in which this person mainly finds their purpose, their significance, their identity in the things of the world and not the things of God. And God says through James that that person is an enemy of God. No born-again believer is an enemy of God. You know what else the Word of God says about that person? They're spiritually dead. They're still alienated from God, separated from God. And what's the first evidence of their spiritual death in Ephesians 2? They walk according to the course of this world. They live by what the world says is valuable and invaluable. By what the world says is important and unimportant. Their life revolves around the things of this world. I'm quoting Mr. Charles Spurgeon. It says this, if you love the world, then you love that which will send you to hell. 
for there is nothing that is more contrary to the hope of heaven than a worldly heart. Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he says about this worldly heart, listen to what he says, their destiny is destruction, that's not heaven. Their destiny is destruction. Why? Their God is their own fleshly appetites. They do whatever the flesh desires because their mind is set on worldly things. It was quite a number of years ago. Well, I know how many years ago it was. It was 26 years ago because my son Joshua, youngest one, was 10 at the time. And I was uh, speaking in maybe 11 high schools in a certain parish here in Louisiana. And then we were going to have a big crusade and uh, Don Wilton was going to be the preacher. I was going to be up there singing. And we had a different music artist every night, too, that were popular at that time. Must have been two or three thousand young people showed up at this Coliseum. I think it was Rapides Parish. I think that's right. In this particular night, the group New Song was singing for 30 minutes before, uh, before the preaching and everything. And after the service, this group, who was very popular at the time in the Christian realm, they were over on the side of the stage, and there was a big crowd around them of young people wanting their autograph. And so my son Josh was on the front row with my wife Diane, and Joshua tugged on Diane and said, Mommy... Can I get an autograph? Well, she wasn't too excited about that, but she gave him a piece of paper and a pen and watched what he was going to do. About five minutes, he came back with the autograph he wanted. But he did not get New Song's autograph. You know whose autograph he got? My autograph. You know why? Because his affections were fixed on his father. He was not distracted with the big music group and the big crowd. Where are your affections fixed? In your seven day a week practice of lifestyle. Brother Ed, can a born again believer be walking on that road and be temporarily distracted by the junk of this world? They sure can, but if you want a God's youngins, he will convict you and if necessary, he will correct you and he will bring your heart back to be fixed on him just like a wandering bird would come back to its nest. But I'm asking you in the ongoing direction of your life. Do you see this birthmark? Oh, but there's more, two more, and we close tonight. I pray you're taking the test. Look at chapter 3 and verse 14. And this is the proof of supernatural love for other disciples. Notice verse 14. Here's that word again. We know. It doesn't say we hope, that we guess, that we might, that we maybe. Uh, no, we know that we've passed from death, and he's speaking of spiritual death, to life. How do we know? Because we love the brethren. 
He who does not love his brother abides in death. He's not been born of God. He's, he's still spiritually dead. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Notice this. By this we know love. In Louisiana English, I'll put it this way. This is the kind of love we're talking about. That's what John says. Because Jesus laid down his life for us. That we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has these world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And we could go to chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves, with the kind of love I'm going to describe, is born of God and knows God. Everyone who does not love, with the kind of love we're going to describe, listen, does not know God. So, how do I know that I've been born uh, from above? How, do, how can I have the assurance that I've entered the narrow gate? I'll tell you how. That night in New Orleans, Louisiana, when God brought the gospel to me in power and broke my heart, you know what he did? He poured out the love of God in my heart. He unleashed the love of God like a rain shower would saturate the ground into this old, desperately wicked heart. And he did it by the Holy Spirit. Not my love for him. No, his love for me. Oh, but that love now compels me, energizes me, inspires me to be a channel of His love for other born-again followers of Jesus. This is how we know we've passed from spiritual death to spiritual life because we have this manner of love. Now, you need to understand something. This is not natural love he's talking about here. There are hundreds of millions of pagans who have no interest in Jesus, no interest in the gospel, but they have been blessed with what is called the common grace of natural love. A lost lady loving her children. An unconverted man loving his children or grandchildren. No, that's natural love. Hindus, Muslims, all kinds, Buddhists, all kinds of people know the common grace of natural love. That's not what he's talking what kind of love was shed abroad in my heart? Natural love? No, supernatural love. That word that he keeps repeating, love, is the same word in John 3, 16. God, so what? Well, that's not natural love. That's supernatural love. Same word found in this epistle where in 1 John 4, 8, it says God is what? Love, that's not natural love. That is supernatural love. And everyone who loves other disciples with this supernatural love is born of God and knows God. Everyone who does not love with this supernatural love 
black ink on white paper says does not know God. They may know about God. They may have accumulated a lot of facts about God. But God says they don't know God unless they know this supernatural life. It's not only supernatural, though, it's sacrificial. Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brother. And no wonder Jesus said in John 13, By this shall all men in Jonesboro, Louisiana know that we have some disciples at First Baptist Church and not just more lost Baptists. How will they know that you love one another? What kind of love? As I have loved you. That's not natural love. That's supernatural love. It's sacrificial love. It's servant love, as we heard last night, taking on the form of a servant of other disciples, willing to serve. Even, John says, willing to sacrifice for the highest good of other followers of Jesus. whole lot of folks got enough religion to bring them to church who have never known the supernatural, sacrificial servant love. But it doesn't stop there. It's sharing love. Did you see that? He who has these world's goods sees his brother in need, but shuts up his heart from his brother. How does the love of God abide in them? (laughs) Oh, but when he who went to Calvary and voluntarily sacrificed for the benefit of sinners, for the conversion of sinners, when he who gave himself at Calvary comes to live, In a born-again believer, they begin to want to give of themselves. Give of their time. Give of their treasure. Give of their gifts and talents to serve other followers of Jesus. Amen? I'm thinking about a retired lady in communist Cuba. Her name was Elaine. And while I sit at my desk in my office, I look to the left. And I see a big old crochet that says on it, Yo soy el alpha y omega, el principio y el fin. Yo soy el primero y el ultimo. I'm not speaking in tongues, that's Spanish. And it means I am the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. It's on that crochet. This lady was living on the equivalent of nine U.S. dollars per month. And she was part of a church that was meeting in a house. They were trying to cram 50 or 60 people into this house every Sunday. And so they purposed to build a little concrete block building. It was going to cost them $7,000. Now, Miss Elaine's living on $9 a month, but she loves the brethren. She loves the Lord. She wants to be a part of this church building, to build this church building. But everybody else there is living on 10 to $15 per month. How in the world are they going to build a church building? You can't borrow from a bank in a communist country. But she said, I know what I'll do. I can crochet. She's in Baracoa, Cuba. She, cro- she, she makes that crochet with those words on it. 
I've come, I've never met this lady, I've come to Santiago de Cuba, over 80 miles away, I'm going to be preaching to church planters all week long, but on Sunday, I'm preaching Sunday morning at 4th Baptist Santiago de Cuba. This lady from Baracoa had to come to Santiago de Cuba to get cataract surgery, and it was going to happen on Monday, but she said, I'm going to go to church at 4th Baptist on Sunday. And she's sitting out in the congregation with four or five hundred people. When this gringo she never met gets up and before he preaches, he sings. Yo soy el alpha y omega, el principio y el fin. Yo soy el primero y el último. I'm singing the words on her crochet. I don't know this lady. And she comes up afterwards and she shows me that crochet. And she, I began to talk with her. And she said, she told me why she made it. And I said, Miss Elaine, I checked with the pastor and the authorities there. I said, I'm coming back to Cuba in six months. I'm bringing the $7,000. Here was a lady that had nothing. But she had a love for the brethren, a love for the Lord, to give of whatever she could give of herself. This is what we're talking about. This is how we know we've passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. These things I've written unto you. Who believe in Jesus? That you may know. One more. And it's the road sign, the birthmark. We find it in chapter 4 and verse 13. Uh, the road sign of a proclamation of this supernatural love in the gospel to lost sinners. Notice it, chapter 4 and verse 13. There's the word again, 36 times in five chapters you find the word no. And again we find it, by this we know we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. Does any born again child of God not have the Holy Spirit? No, what he's saying there is this how I know I'm in him. And he's in me because he's given me the Holy Spirit. But don't stop reading. And we have seen. And we testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. I'll tell you what, that night in New Orleans, Louisiana, this former argumentative, arrogant, uh, agnostic, rock and jazz drummer saw something I'd never seen before. Because my desperately wicked heart was blind. But God shined the light. And I saw something. I heard something. Oh, I'd heard it from my wife. That's why I was mocking her verbally. Attacking her verbally. I heard, but I didn't hear. But that night, I heard something. Because the call came to more than my ears that night. 
there was a supernatural heavenly calling to came to this desperately wicked heart. And I saw something. I heard something. So I have a desire to take opportunities and make opportunities to testify about what I've seen and heard. In the gospel. How can a person say they've been born of God? They've entered through the narrow gate of authentic conversion. They're no longer an object of God's wrath. They're no longer on the road to hell. They've been born of God. They've been converted. They've entered into eternal life. A saving knowledge of Jesus. And they have no desire. To testify. To sinners about what they've seen and heard. But this is how we know we're in him. And he's in us. Andrew heard that call, didn't he? He got a call more to the ears. He got a call to the heart. And he followed Jesus. And the first thing he did was what? Tell Peter about what he's seen and heard. Philip heard that call. And there was a miraculous, supernatural power within that call that affected the purpose for which the call was sent. He heard a saving, heavenly call. He followed Jesus. And the first thing he did was testify to Nathaniel about what he's seen and heard. The Samaritan serial adulterer at the well heard that call. She followed Jesus and went back to her village and began to testify about what she's seen and heard. The Gadarean maniac, demoniac heard that call. There he was a slave to legions of demons, but there was a power in Jesus' call that transformed his life. Jesus sent him back and he went back to ten cities testifying. About what he's seen and heard. Amen? Amen? I'm, I'm giving you examples from the Bible. That same meeting in Cuba. I'm teaching church planters from all over Cuba. And during one of the lunch breaks, the brother who was interpreting for me, Gary Morrison, I saw him over there all into a conversation, an active conversation with one of the church planters. And after a while, Gary came over to me and he said, Brother Ed, you need to hear this story. It was a 31-year-old church planter. His name was Nelson. And he began testifying about what he'd seen and heard to me. He said, Brother Ed, 14 years ago, I was a gang member in El Cane, a suburb of Santiago de Cuba. That's what I was. A 17-year-old gang member. But somebody invited me to El Cane Baptist Church one Sunday morning and I came. And he said, that morning you were preaching the bad news and the good news. And I came under conviction that I was lost. And after the service, you, I came up to you and I began to tell you my condition. And you started planning truth into me. And after quite a while, you said, Nelson, go home and seek the Lord. 
He said, I came back that night and you were preaching truths that cluster around the gospel again. And after the service, I talked to you some more. And you said, after quite a while, go home and seek the Lord. And he said, that night at home, I was born from above. And I started testifying to my family, to my neighbors, to my gang members, to anybody who would listen about what I've seen and heard in the gospel. Amen? He said, then God called me to be a preacher. I went to Eastern Baptist Seminary. I've got my degree. I'm a church planter now. I planted a new church. I said, well, when did that happen? He said, it was a couple years ago. We started with four. I said, how many are there now? He said, there's 40. I'll tell you what, Nelson was born from above. And he couldn't help but testify about what he's seen and heard. Would you read chapter 5 and verse 13 with me again and we'll close. These things, I wrote, what things? Well, the last five chapters, that's what things. These things I've written to you. This is not some verse to tack on to a watered down, diluted track. A, admit you're a sinner. Pray this prayer. Uh, here's, here's human assurance. Pull this verse out of context and stick it on the back of a track. No. These things, if you see these things going on as a reality in your life. These things I've written unto you who believe. In the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, I don't care what you believe, Brother Ed. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe, so I'm saved. Well, there's a problem with that. There's whole lots of kinds of faith in Jesus, in the Bible, that does not comprise saving faith. There's dead faith. Faith without works is what? Dead. There's deceptive faith. We heard about it tonight. People are hearers of the word. Hearers of the word. Hearers of the word. They're up to the eyeballs hearing the word. But they're not doers of the word. They are deceiving themselves. There's even the faith of demons. Every demon in hell believes everything I preach Sunday morning. They believe it. And they tremble. At what they believe. Most Baptists don't even tremble. But demons do. If they believe and tremble. Are they saved? No they can't be saved. There's no plan of redemption. No plan of salvation for demons. Oh but they have a type of faith. In Jesus. And John's writing to those who profess faith. In Jesus. But he says, here's how you can know your faith is not dead, it's not deceptive, it's not demonic, it's saving faith. Here's how you can know you're on the right road in light of the fact that the majority of those who profess some kind of faith in Jesus have actually entered the wide gate, Jesus says, of counterfeit conversion. They're walking on the broad road of religious deception. But here's how I know my faith is saving faith. The birthmark. 
Now, if I die in the next 30 seconds, I'm not trusting in the birthmark. I'm clinging to, trusting in, relying on the person and the work of Jesus alone. But because by a miraculous work of God and the grace of God, I have, he's producing the birthmark. Not in the perfection of my life, but in the direction of my life. You see these birthmarks? Well, brother, and I'm a Baptist. I've seen four Baptist preachers get converted as Baptist preachers. I'm not asking you, are you a Baptist? I go to prisons quite often. There's a lot of Baptists there. Do you see the birthmark that you've entered into a saving knowledge of Jesus? You have believed into Jesus. And not just believe some uh, a minimum set of historical facts about Jesus, but you have believed into the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that word believe in the New Testament? And it's a little Greek phrase, pastu and ice. It means to believe into. It, it doesn't mean to give a little mental assent to some watered down facts concerning the historical Jesus and parrot a prayer concerning those facts. It is a birth from above in which you believe into the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Has that happened to you? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes into him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Those who have believed into him are not condemned. Those who have not believed into him are condemned already. Jailer man, believe into the one who is Christ. The one who is Jesus, Jehovah God who saves the one who is Lord. Noah and his family. Can you imagine them standing outside that ark? The wrath of God's about to come. Would it have been enough for Noah and his family to give a mental agreement that the ark would save them from the wrath to come? Would that be enough? Would it have been enough for Noah and his family to repeat a prayer concerning the fact that the ark could save them from the wrath to come? Would that have been enough? No. What'd they have to do? They had to get into the ark. Jesus is the only ark of safety from the wrath to come. He says, I am the door. If anyone, listen, enters by me, he shall be. Say, oh, we've watered this thing down for a couple of generations now. Have you believed into the one who is the one and only door? The one and only way. The one who lived a sinless life. The one who went to Calvary. Have you believed into him? 
have you entered into the narrow gate? Wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. The majority of those within the realm of professing Christianity have entered that gate. What's that bunch going to do at the final judgment? Lord, Lord, we did what? This and that and this and that. In whose name? In Jesus' name. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. You never believed into me. I never committed myself to you. If you don't know that, if you don't see the birthmarks, if you've never seen the road signs, then I'm going to plead with you to do what I pleaded with Nelson to do. Seek the Lord while he may be found. You call on him. He's near. Let the sinner forsake his way. Turn to the Lord. You'll be abundantly pardoned. He'll have mercy on you. Strive, wrestle, agonize. Well, I don't know if I'm in, Brother Ed. Then keep on seeking, striving, wrestling until you know you've entered through that gate and only God can give you that knowing. If any preacher gave it to you, he gave you false assurance. Only God can give that assurance. Let's pray together.